From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. All right, welcome to the April podcast. Uh, This is Kenny Dossie, Deputy Chief of the Emergency Operations Bureau. Um, Once again, uh, this podcast is kind of like a station visit. It's a means for us to get information out uh, to you. Uh, with 77 stations and three shifts, sometimes it's hard uh, to get the information out. Uh, we're still abiding by you know our normal rules, SOPs, general orders, handbooks as the official way. But this is just another way to get the, uh, the information out uh, on what we have going on here in the organization. Uh, today, a uh, special guest, I have the newly promoted Assistant Chief of Operations, TJ McGovern. TJ, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chief. Appreciate to be here. Yeah, well, we're glad you're here, and uh, I've got some questions lined up for you, um, and, I, and I'll just jump right into it and start with the very first one. It's kind of the fire service uh, 101 question. Tell us a little bit about your fire service career. All right. Thanks, Chief. I appreciate to be here. So my name is TJ McGovern. I've been with OCFA for about two and a half years now, uh, part of the transition over from Garden Grove. So just really happy to be here and looking forward to many more years to come. So uh, as far as my fire service career, I come from a fire department family. My dad was L.A. City firefighter for 30 years. So ever since I was young, I pretty much uh, grew up uh, going to the fire stations and hanging out up in L.A. City. So I first started, uh, I became a fire explorer back when I was about 14 years old with the San Clemente Fire Department. I did ride-alongs and did all the training. So I knew right then I really wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, from there, I was hired in the city of San Clemente for the fire department on the emergency transport unit. So back in the day, it was ETs out of San Clemente. While I was uh, working there, I started attending Santa Ana College and did all my fire core classes. I finished that. And also right after that, I went right into uh, paramedic school at Saddleback. In the paramedic class we went to, um, I was fortunate because in that class it had 20 of the 30 individuals were all independents, so we only had 10 career firefighters in there. So I finished paramedic school. I did my ride-alongs there with Anaheim Fire Department. Uh, Shortly after there, I was hired by the city Garden Grove. I spent a little over 25 years with that city. Uh, I was hired there as a firefighter paramedic and promoted up through the ranks. Um, while I was in Garden Grove, I also spent many years on a Cal Fire IMT in the plan section. So I got good experience there, did a lot of networking and, uh, had a really good time on a lot of those assignments. And Chief Dossie, I believe you and I were part of Cal Fire Team 4, uh, for many years, had a good time. And Chief Perkins was also with us there. Um, like I said, been with OCFA now two and a half years and just having an uh, incredible time looking forward to it. And right now I'm in my 28th year as uh, in the fire service. Thank you. Well, that's good. That's a great overview for uh, those that uh, are unaware of you. And yeah, it was a pleasure to work with you on Cal Fire Team 4. You did an outstanding job and it was uh, great when you came over here from Grove. It was great to have you. I didn't know your dad was LA City guy either. That's interesting. Yeah, thirty years. Good for him. Um, how about a little bit about uh, you know your your personal life, your family, your hobbies? I mean, you told us a little bit about your dad, but is how about your family? Yeah, so I've been married to my wife for nineteen years now. Her name is Christy, and I actually met her when I was in the city Garden Grove. She was a Garden Grove Police Department dispatcher, and then um, 
we started dating and ended up getting married and then brought her over to the fireside dispatching. So she worked here at OCFA uh, part-time for about three to four years. And then she took a little break when we started having kids. And then most recently, she spent the last uh, eight years with Metronet uh, Dispatch part-time there. But since we came over to OCFA, she's now retired and she's a stay-at-home mom, uh, loving it. As far as uh, my sib- or my uh, kids, I have two daughters, 18 and 16. It's Elle and Ava. And my oldest one is a senior this year, and she's getting ready to go to University of Texas in the fall. So we're really excited about that. And then my youngest is a sophomore at San Clemente High School, and she's a, a avid volleyball player. So she's uh, all in the club teams, and we do a lot of traveling um, with her. Uh, we both... Uh, my family resides in San Clemente and some of my hobbies, uh, I do like to surf on my days off, spend time down in Baja and the river and Mammoth. So we're pretty active and definitely stay busy. Well, I've already learned something else new about you. I didn't know your wife worked here at one time. Uh, that's that's interesting. She did. Her pitch was actually up on the ECC floor back when uh, <laughs> Orange County was at Water Street. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And uh, you're going to get to pay some uh, out-of-state tuition maybe uh, pretty soon for your yeah. oldest? Yeah. I sure am. It's not going to be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to these questions. So uh, you recently sent out your expectations and intent to the organization. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of your expectations or your intent or what you meant there when you sent that out? Uh, thanks, Chief. Yeah, first of all, I can't uh, express how fortunate I feel to have been awarded the opportunity to serve as Assistant Chief of Operations here with OCFA. Um, I was really looking forward to it and just... Uh, Definitely appreciate the support and the opportunity that I have here. So some of my core beliefs uh, and part of my expectations and intent are obviously first and foremost is the safety of our personnel. Uh, We need to make sure our personnel are safe at all times, make sure we have the proper gear for them, um, policies and procedures, making sure our operations and the tactics and fire ground operations are within the norm. Um, Another big item for me is professionalism. You know, that goes without saying, being in the fire service, we're servant leaders, we're here to provide um, the public a good good foundation and being uh, professional is absolute paramount for that. Um, another thing is competency. I've always been a big proponent of competency, not only on the fire ground, but also in around the station, how you talk with personnel, how you handle situations. It's a thing that makes us professional and it drives us to making sure we get to the highest level that we can. Uh, Two more words that kind of go hand in hand is fairness and consistency. Uh, I use those as core values because uh, as long as you're fair and you're consistent, even though you might not always uh, have the most popular decision, it's as long as you're fair and consistent, that builds respect amongst uh, your peers and your subordinates and superiors because they know what they're going to get from you. Accountability and responsibility are definitely high on my uh, core beliefs here. I believe everyone needs to be accountable and responsible for any actions they have. And um, those are basically the foundations of uh, my expectations, my core beliefs, and that's what I'm looking for for our foundations of uh, OCFA. Thanks a lot for clearing that up. Uh, That kind of goes hand in hand with what you sent out, so uh, I think that'll help. Um, let me, let me ask you, uh, probably one more question here, but, and I'll, I'll kind of put you on a spot a little bit, but what are your top priorities 
um, you would like to accomplish in maybe your first three, six, nine months? So the first top priorities, you know, you can accomplish projects and and get those done in a short range goal. So as far as those, I got a couple of projects that I'm working on that I would like to um, finish off those. But but more importantly, what I'm really looking forward to are our long range goals and forecasting the priorities um, here at the OCFA, not just looking in the next six months, but really forecasting out for the years to come to with the help of my peers and and people we work with is making OCFA better than um, I could leave it. So that's something I'm looking for. Some examples of that are fostering and continue to build working relationships amongst the rank and file and chief officers. I think it's important that uh, there is that working relationship. So basically when someone comes in a station, they're not seeing them for the first time or the question is, oh, why are they coming here? You start building those working relationships with that networking and those goals and priorities are a lot easier to overcome down the road. Another thing that I'm looking to do is continue to improve our response times. Over the last year, they have been improving, but we do have still some room for growth with that. So um, I really have emphasized getting out the barn when the alarms go off and because it goes back to what we need to do to the public. The public is calling on us and we need to be there in that appropriate time. Uh, Two other things I'm looking for is to improve engagement with battalion and company level training. Um, I'd really like the BCs, the DCs and the BCs to get out at the company level, have those discussions, talk about uh, tabletop discussions about significant incidents they've had, establish that dialogue, get input from those members just so kind of a debrief and AAR, just more of an informal debriefing after these incidents uh, where there might have been some challenges and or some successes. And then lastly is to continue to increase our uh, intent-based decision-making. You know, making sound decisions at the right time based off immediate factors that are thrown at you. Sometimes you might not uh, make that right decision and sometimes they need to be adjusted. But making the decision with justifications is definitely better than not making the decision at all. Okay, man, that was a great introduction and a, really a great overview of you. I, I don't really have uh, uh, any more questions to ask you. Is there any way you could maybe stick around Um I can uh, continue a little bit more of this with, uh, you know, our March Madness that just finished and we just had retirements and I've got some questions for the field. Anyway, you can stick around for a little while. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Let me jump right into March Madness and kind of what's been going on here with the retirements. Um, We've had roughly 50 retirements department wide. Um, 40 plus of those were safety. You know, all ranks were affected and including professional staff up here at headquarters. Um, so that, with that being said, I'll just jump right into what we have in the hopper, um, which is Academy 54 is, is, uh, about halfway finished right now. They just had their midterm. Uh, there's 37 students left. Remember we started with 41 students. Um, one individual got injured, uh, one failed out at the beginning and, uh, two didn't pass their midterm. So we're still looking good there, uh, numbers wise. And remember Academy 55, which is also a firefighter paramedic, uh, Academy starts uh, right after 54 and the uh, number we were shooting for in there was 50, 
but based on um, what we've gotten that it's applied and people that have passed our test from A to Z, we're going to have less than 50 in the academy. But, um, you know, if, if, if I'm guessing, it's probably going to be somewhere around 40 to start the academy, which is good. It's a good, uh, good start and it's a good base for uh, what we need to do. Um, so that's kind of the update on March Madness and where we are. Uh, obviously, we have a captain's academy that is going on, uh, going to start here. Uh, pretty quickly, I think it's in May, and we have another Engineers Academy that will be starting. So um, some relief coming forward with the captains and uh, some more uh, engineers, which will create some openings for those medics. Um, but I'll just turn some of these questions over to you that I got from the field, and if you don't mind asking them, that'd probably be a good format for us to to get through these. Sure, we can go ahead and do that. Thanks, Chief. So first question I have here. Uh, there's a rumor going around about a third Captain's Academy this year. Has there been any dialogue about that? Yeah, there actually has been. And and even though we haven't finished our second Captain's Academy that's going to be going on, the one I just mentioned a minute ago with uh, 17 participants in it, we're already looking forward saying, should we run a, an additional Captain's Academy? And um, we don't have the answer for that right now. We're looking at it. Some of the factors are it'll be fire season. Uh, it'll be vacation season. And really a, a deciding uh, point for that is can we get instructors um, for the academy and also for the testing portion of uh, the fire captain's test, which we all know is, is pretty comprehensive and it takes, it takes an army and logistics to handle that. So we're looking into that. And at the same time, we're also looking into promoting uh, our potentially uh, running another battalion chief's test also. So those two would go kind of hand in hand um, uh, with the same uh, limitations that we're talking about and maybe running one at the end of the year. So to answer your question, it's a pretty good rumor. We're looking at it. We're trying to figure out the logistics for it. And um, I think it, I think it might happen. <clears throat> Sounds good. So the next uh, item here is I like to talk about electric vehicles here at the OCFA. Can you explain some of the background on the SOP with the uh, charging of electric vehicles at the OCFA facilities? Yeah, so um, this all started actually with a complaint um, that that we got up here at headquarters, and and we went out and and validated the um, the uh, um, the accusation that we were charging cars on duty, and and it was true. There's there was some people with some electric cars that were charging them on duty. So um, we sat down and, and had a lot of dialogue at the executive leadership and executive management level on, all right, what are we going to do? Um, you know, California wants to go green. Um, there's initiatives out there for charging uh, stations. Um, what exactly can we do to uh, follow through with what, where we're probably going? I mean, there'll probably be a day here in the near future. Nobody has, uh, you know, a gas-powered car, but we're not there yet. So um, we did some background, some research, couldn't find anything that, um, any regulations or laws that allowed us to actually charge the vehicles at the stations. Um, we did call other agencies to see if anybody had any policies, procedures, what they were doing. And it seems like everybody's kind of in the same boat right now. Um, so we turned it over to the attorneys for the fire authority. And um, the conclusion from them was this is potentially a gift of public funds. So when we got the official ruling, we said, oh, okay, well, stop charging cars at the stations um, and develop the SOP. So the L SOP was developed and we put it out 
And after it came out, uh, the local had some concerns. So we pulled it um, and we're in discussions with them right now. And hopefully we're going to be able to collaborate on some sort of solution, whether that's find some grant funding, find a charging uh, or install charging stations at the stations. And, you know, it just opens a whole can of worms. Like, do we put it in the front of the station where the public can use it also? Um, we're really not sure where it's going to go, but that's kind of some of the background where we are and where we're going. I'm sure someday we'll look back at this and, and laugh at, at where we started, but, um, we've kind of got a ruling and, and know the intent for right now. So just to kind of summarize that chief. So as an agency, um, we are kind of looking at and having dialogue about putting char charging stations, kind of a pay as you charge, um, to support the state's movement of a green environment. Yeah, we're talking about it. We're, we're going to try to figure out if there's uh, any regulations, like I said, or laws or anything or, or grants that we can we can work towards. So I'm hoping that we can collaborate with the local and, and figure something out. But uh, as of today, um, that hasn't started yet. Okay, sounds good. So uh, next item is uh, there's been some talk about solar panels here. So uh, have we had any talk about solar panels on the department facilities, like at our fire stations or our headquarters? Yeah, so that, that kind of blends into the first question with electric cars. Uh, it seems like that's the way uh, California is definitely going and, and, and probably across the nation. So this discussion has been going on for years and years as far as solar panels up here at headquarters, whether on the roof or in parking structures. And there's actually been plans put into place before, and for whatever reason, they've been canceled or, or postponed. Um, you know, and, and I hate to blame COVID because that seems to get blamed for everything, but um, that's probably part of the delay. But there actually is a plan in place now for next year, next fiscal year. It's in the capital improvements projects for eight spots here at headquarters um, to where we'll do a trial uh, parking spot with a, with an awning covering it, uh, kind of like you see at the schools or at the hospitals with some solar, um, to generate some, uh, revenue back here, uh, to potentially pay, pay for some of our electric bill and, and we'll go from there. So there is something in the works, uh, it's in the CIP for next year and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. I think that covered parking, it does go, would definitely help out with the apparatus. Like it's uh, some of the sun rot here or any other vehicles here at headquarters. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, my last one is, uh, what is the update on this quarter's tag in RT-130? Do you have anything for us? Yeah, so um, obviously RT-130 is um, required that we do it every single year. And, um, you know, last year's RT-130 really focused on the SART report and some some findings. And, and this year, uh, it, there's no different. And we decided to take the first quarter tag and, and blend them together to where we're dealing with you know, our, our, get our dust, get our cobwebs off and get ready for wildland season, you know, doing what we do for uh, every year for wildland covering RT-130. And then in tag, they're, they're out, um, actually walking, getting your Nomax on, making sure that it's all checked out, making sure the importance of having the correct gear on and wearing it at the correct time. And they're out and they're walking, um, our area. And uh, you start at station 15 and you, you go up back behind 15. It's a pretty steep hill and, and you get to walk and there's different spots that you stop and have some discussions, almost like a staff ride for those of you that have been on a staff ride, where they talk about different either near misses, burnovers, um, or different tragedies that have happened on our dirt. And the theme of it is our dirt, our patch, 
our people. And, and really it can happen. Um, it can happen to any of us. It doesn't matter if you're at a fire engine right now in the middle of garden Grove or Santa Ana. Um, when you start looking at some of these different events that we had, and I'll, I'll just use the, um, the one that they did in RT 130 right now with the, um, guys that jumped in their shelters, you look at those engine companies that were on there, they weren't the, uh, you know, station 15, they weren't the brush stations. They were actually, you know, engines that were in the middle of city somewhere and then ended up going out there and getting themselves uh, into a pickle. And and this ha- has happened time and time and time again, you know, in, in our own backyard to where when you look through the information in TAG, they draw a uh, triangle and they're called like the devil's triangle. And a lot of stuff has happened. And the intent is, 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 is in these small groups is to have some of the people that have been around explain to the newer uh, generation that, hey, this happens. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It has happened to here before. And let's make sure we don't make the same mistakes because when they talk about the time of the year, the weather, the wind, the relative humidity, there's a ton of common factors out there um, that all happen on all these fires at the same time that should definitely uh, raise everyone's awareness, uh, whether it's chasing a spot fire or um, holding a line. So that's the intent. Um, I think it's really good. Um, training did a fantastic job. And I know that Duke Juarez and training was kind of the lead on it a- along with everybody in there. And uh, I think it's going to be good. People are going to enjoy it. I can only imagine how surreal that is when <clears throat> our members have boots on the ground where these near misses were. It probably brings it home and and puts that realization in, in in their minds of this could actually happen to us. That that that's the intent and that's the hope and and that's how the staff ride kind of works. And this time it's even closer to home because it's it's actually our people that the individuals that are wearing our patch are the ones that that got themselves out there and got into a pickle of some sort. So, anyways. Thank you. How about uh, is there any update on the behavioral health SOP? So, uh, yeah, it's funny that uh, you're asking me this question because I know that you've been working on this. And and we had um, Lee and we had Rhonda on behavioral health and we did a whole episode on it. And it was very, very informational for, for all of us that were listening. And I know me personally, I got a lot out of it. And we went back and we looked at the SOP and kind of the way we were doing things. And we said, you know what? Um, sometimes uh, you can go to an incident and it might be a pretty traumatic incident. And the station captain would say, do you guys want behavioral health or CISD out here or anything? And, and there's a little bit of pressure to, to not potentially have somebody come out and talk. And the BC would usually come down and say the same thing. So part of this new SOP is to identify some of these calls. And obviously, we still want our station captains and our battalion chiefs, our leaders out there in the field to... Uh, keep a good eye on on the employees and see if they need uh, any sort of behavioral health. But at the same time, um, there's a peer support lead and we kind of rearrange the peer support team to where we have these leads and the leads will be notified. And then the leads will be able to follow up with some of the peer support members to at least follow up with the individuals that were on this call, maybe in a more informal manner. That might be a phone call, a text, um, uh, just an individual visit or whatever, just so no one's slipping through the cracks and, and, you know, looking at this and watching this work and, and chief McGovern, I know you've been working on this SOP and making sure that it's happening all the time, whether it's in dispatch or, or with our company officers or BCs, I think it's a good thing. So that's kind of the update that I got. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that or, or that's kind of where we are with it. Yeah, sure. No, like you said, chief, uh, myself and Lee and, and Sammy Soto have been working on this and, so in ECC, we can't kind of give a, a 
benchmark of what calls we're automatically going to assign or give the peer support lead. But what we do is we're monitoring these calls. And if our ECC staff starts hearing stuff from the caller or something, they're going to take the initiative and just reach out to the peer support lead and just pretty much give them a heads up to where in the next 15, 20 minutes after the call, after they get back into quarters, that that peer support is going to give each member of that crew just a courtesy call, making sure everything's okay. But as far as those calls where our ECC staff doesn't realize what occurred, kind of a generic call type, we do need the BCs and the captains to call our duty officer, go through the chain of command to get it to our duty officer, Ito, who will then go ahead and reach out to the peer support lead and make sure all our members are um, addressed and handled as as appropriate as possible with the peer support lead. So there's more to come. Lee and I are still working on that with Sammy Soto, but I would say within the next month or so, we should really have that uh, buttoned up and it'll be good for everybody. That's great. And uh, how about ambulance delays? Any update on uh, ambulance delays? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good update actually. So uh, obviously ambulance delays have been horrible here uh, since the first of the year and the second, um, or when COVID decided to take another run at us. And with COVID being down, and um, I think uh, Chief Fennessy and Chief Black uh, going to Orange County EMSA and saying, hey, there is a problem with the ambulances. And and not only them, but even going uh, above to the CEO of the county and the public health doctor, we really made some good progress um, to pressure the ambulance companies to hire more people, get more ambulances out there because... Um, delays were happening at an unbelievable amount and uh, they were definitely outside of their contract. Remember the contract is between the county and um, the ambulance companies. Uh, you know, we're the ALS providers, but we were definitely affected by it. So uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm knocking on wood. I, th- I think we're, we're past uh, the bad part and we're moving forward. Um, but we'll see. And if not, um, we'll continue to push. And the important part out of this is, is if we are out of the woods and things are better is that the County come up with a plan for when this does happen again, because, um, for a while there got a little bit, uh, unacceptable. So that's basically all I have on the ambulance delays. You want to elaborate a little bit? Cause I know you were an ECC dealing with this a bunch. Yeah, sure. So back in mid December, uh, up in ECC, we started noticing, um, a delay in getting ambulances assigned to the call and then also a delay on their ETAs once they're assigned. So myself, uh, Jeff Logan and the duty officers, we came up with a system to start tracking that. So anytime that it takes longer than five minutes for an ambulance to be assigned to the call, or if their ETA is longer than 20 minutes, we've been able to capture that data put it in a spreadsheet and start tracking it. So since uh, mid-December, we've been tracking that. Uh, We've had uh, good days, bad days, but I think the trend is starting to come down and we're not seeing um, that much discrepancy or disparity amongst the ambulances. So we're definitely improving, uh, but once again, there's more uh, room for improvement on that. Yeah, and one thing I just read today, uh, the ambulance companies finally agreed to give us AVL. So we'll be able to actually track them a little bit closer and maybe even to the point where the company officer can see how far out the ambulance is so they can make a good judgment decision on whether they want to boost them up to code three or do something else. So, so still more good news on the front for ambulances, knock on wood. Yep. Sounds good. 
All right. Well, uh, in closing, um, I'd like to thank you uh, for everything you guys do out there every single day. Uh, we know that you're making a difference. Uh, remember to take care of yourself uh, mentally and physically. Captains, make sure you're watching out for your crews and keep an eye on the BCs for us. And then the crew members, you guys need to keep an eye on your captains. And uh, that's all we have for this month. Chief McGovern, thanks very much for coming out and tell us a little bit about yourself. We're looking forward to your leadership uh, in your new role. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it.